church. I do want to have you guys pray for Tiffany and Lou Williams. I think the baby is due soon, so please be you know, in prayer for the Williams family um, as they expect the arrival of their new baby. So uh, if you have your Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 1. So you're going to be looking at verses uh, 9 through 14 today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through uh, 14. The men's, uh, we had our first uh, men's study uh, this Monday. And the study we're going through is called Wide Angle. And the study is, is, is intended to help believers, that, that's Christians, live out a Christian world and, and life view. Now, everyone has one of these. Everyone has a, a world and, and life view, Christian or non-Christian. It doesn't matter your race, your religion, or your nationality. All people have a world and life view. But what is it? You know, what does that mean? The, the, in the wide angle study, they put forth three questions. They say, they say a real view will answer four questions. Every worldview tries to answer four questions. Where do I come from? Why is the world such a mess? Is there a way out? What's my purpose? Where did I come from? Why is the world in such a mess? Is there a way out? And what is my purpose? You see, your worldview is the reason you do what you do. It's the reason you live the way you live. It's the backbone of all your life's decisions. It helps you make sense of this life. It helps you make sense of this world. You see, your worldview, your world and life view are, are eyeglasses. They're eyeglasses. Now, if I take off my glasses, I can't see nobody. I, I can't make out anybody. People in the back, I have no idea who you are right now. Because everything's foggy right now. It's blurry. It's hazy. But when I put my glasses on, everything's clear. I can make sense of things. Your world and life view helps you make sense of the world that you live in. It has the same purpose. And everyone here has one. You might not have ever thought about that. You might not have ever used those terms. You might have have never thought that deep. You may never have thought deep enough about what lies beneath what you do. What lies beneath why you do it and how you do it. And what lies beneath all those things is your world and life view. It's living and it's active. It also brings self-revelation. I love this part of worldview. It brings self-revelation. It reveals what you actually and functionally please your allegiance to. It reveals what you please your allegiance to. As Christians, we are called to pledge our allegiance to Christ and to his kingdom. And as Christians, we we are to live out a Christian and world and life view that's rooted and grounded in God's word. But many believers in America don't intentionally live that way. We don't live that way. I don't live that way. Because we pledge our allegiance to other people, to other things. In this current political climate and social climate, and racial climate in our country is bringing our true allegiances to the surface of our life. And what we're seeing is that we're not as committed to Jesus as we think. 
We've wandered away. And some of us don't even know it. And hey, it's easy to drift away. It's easy to get sidetracked. It is easy to get duped into believing a lie. It's easy to have mixed loyalties. It's hard to live a life that's fully pledged to Christ because we live in such an individualistic and tribalistic and consumeristic culture. It's difficult. Not just for us. It's difficult for all Christians around the world. Americans are not unique. All Christians have this struggle. Even Christians in the first century had this struggle. I know we like to idolize the first century church, but Tim, it's just as broken as ours. If they weren't so broken, Paul would write all those letters to them. They had difficulties too. And the saints at Colossae have the same struggles we have. It's hard for them to live a life that's pledged to Christ. It's easy for them to drift away from Christ. It's hard. It's going to be hard. Even if they don't know or sense the hardness, Paul senses it. He knows it. That's why he prays that they would plead, pledge their allegiance to the goat. And I'm not talking about an animal. The goat stands for the greatest of all time, and that's Jesus. He's the greatest because of what he has done and because of who he is. And we are to pledge our allegiance to him alone, without debate, without discussion. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if you forget, it's Jesus still. It's always Jesus. So, we have your Bible, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with great with joy giving thanks to God, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, I, 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 we need your spirit. I know I pray this every week. I don't pray it because it's a cliche. I pray it because it's true. It's true. We need him, not less of him. We need him, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray to you that you will come, that you will descend, that what we see here will not just be us going through the motions and us having an emotional high, but we will have an encounter with the true living God that will change us, that will empower us to go back out into the world and fight and live one more week. You know us, Holy Spirit. You know what we need to hear you know our struggles, and so we need you to minister to those today. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. The book of Colossians is Paul's response to the church report he received from Epaphras. You see, Epaphras um, brought a church report to Paul and some other church leaders about the spiritual well-being of the saints in Colossae. He, he reported about how they were growing. He, was, he reported to them about how their post-conversion faith 
was continuing to take shape in their life. He thanked God for how the gospel was continuing to bear fruit in them because they were growing in an active and, and living faith and, and an active and living love and an active and living hope. And now in, in verses 9 through 14, Paul moves from prayers of thanksgiving to intercession on behalf of these saints. He tells them in verse 9, for this reason, from the day that we heard from Epaphras about your spiritual journey, we, we ourselves have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. Paul and these leaders are intervening on behalf of these saints before God, standing in the gap for them, holding the rope for them through their prayers, praying without ceasing, petitioning to God to work in their life. And these petitions and these supplications aren't general requests. They're not general requests. They're particular petitions to God for these saints. They're praying that these saints will continue to pledge their allegiance to the GOAT, to Jesus, the greatest of all time. Petitioning God that, that their loyalties would be to Jesus and not to anyone else. They're praying that these Colossians would live out their Christian world and life view in their culture, in their world. The wide-angle study is, is a conversation between the late Chuck Colson and Pastor Rick Warren. And in Monday's lesson, uh, Pastor Warren said, the Bible can be summarized in two words. He says it can be summarized in salvation and stewardship. Now, I can dig that. But I added a third S. And that third S is something that many Christians in America, we don't like to talk about. And that S is suffering. Suffering. You see, even though the Colossians are growing, even though they have this active living faith, this active living love, this active living hope, the journey isn't going to be easy. There are going to be potholes and road bumps along the way. There will be setbacks. There will be ups and downs. There will be successes and failures. There will be joy and pain. There will be smiles. There will be tears. There will be forces working against them. There will be forces working for them. There will be suffering and trials. It's not going to be easy street. There's going to be some muddy roads along the way. It's going to be hard to live out this Christian and royal and life view. It's not going to be easy to pledge your allegiance to Jesus. But do you believe it? Paul believes it. Paul knows it. You see, in Ephesians 5, he, he, 5 verses 15 and 17, he says something to the saints at Ephesus. He says to them, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the best of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul has the same concern for the saints at Colossae, and I have the same concerns for each of you. The days are currently evil. Not days past. Days future and days present. They, the days are evil at right now. And Paul wants us to, to, to look carefully then in how we walk. He wants us to be wise and not foolish. Progress. Please hear me now. Don't tune me out. Progress. In any society doesn't make the world less evil. Progress 
growth, change does not make the world less evil. Evil adapts to change and progress. It looks different, dress different, sounds different, smiles different, but it's ever present. But do you have the eyes to see it? Why do you think Paul says, when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand? Evil is always present. And so Paul says, look carefully then in how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best of your time. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is actually what he is petitioning God for on their behalf. Because he prays that they may be filled with something. He wants them to be made full with something in their spiritual journey. Now, when you go to Wendy's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, or McDonald's, now you have what you call realistic expectations. You at least expect to get what you order. Now, if you order a number one combo with a large fry and large drink, that's what you expect to get in the bag. You don't want to drive home, get your mouth set for something, you open the bag and your order is incomplete. And so if you order an eight-piece nugget, you want eight nuggets. You don't want, you don't, you, you don't want four nuggets. You don't want to be short nuggets. You don't want to be lacking any nuggets. You want your order to be full and complete and hopefully hot when you get home. You see, Paul prays that these Colossians would have a full order of something as well. Without lack, without shortage. He doesn't want them to be shortchanged. He wants them to be full with something that's complete. And he says, we pray to God, we pray to God that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Without ceasing, we pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He's asking God himself to fill these saints with the knowledge of his will because they can't fill themselves with it. God has to do it. He does this on behalf of his people. And God's people are those who have faith in Jesus Christ, those who have acknowledged their sin to Jesus, those who have Um, um, repentant of that sin and those who have accepted and received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so if you don't know him today, then you can't know him. Just confess, repent, receive, and faith. And when you do that, you're part of God's people. You're part of his family. And Paul prays these prayers, not just for the saints in Colossae. Colossae, these are prayers for us. He prays to God to fill them completely with knowledge of his will without lack, without shortage. No one wants a half glass of Kool-Aid. You want a full glass. Full glass. Or sweet tea, whatever you like to drink. You need to have a full glass of God, knowledge of God's will. Not a half glass. I want each of you to notice that Paul's words here. Notice what he says here. He doesn't say, he says knowledge of God's will, not a knowledge. Of God's will. Why is Paul so definite? Why is he so clear and direct here? It's because he wants them to be filled with the right knowledge of God's will and not the wrong knowledge of God's will. Because trust me, there's a lot of nonsense out there when it comes to knowing the knowledge of God's will, especially on the internet, in certain books, and articles, and sermons, and social media outlets. We live in a time where everybody's an expert in everything, and everybody has an opinion 
on everything, but everybody can't be trusted. There are many views and, and ideas that claim to shed light on the, the knowledge of God and, and God's will in your life. There are false saviors, false prophets. There are false teachers who claim to have some inside scoop on the knowledge of God's will, but they can't be trusted. There's a right way and a wrong way when it comes to the knowledge of God's will. And at times it's hard to know the difference. It's hard to know the difference at times. Paul is fully aware of this as well. Paul knows. Again, Paul knows there's a right way and a wrong way. He knows that there are false teachers and false prophets and false uh, saviors. He, he dealt with that all through some of his ministry. Most of his letters is written to churches who, who have false teachers in their midst. And this is what's taking place in Colossae. That will come out later in the summer. There are bad views and ideas when it comes to the knowledge of God and knowing God's will. And Paul knows that at some point, the saints at Colossae will come face to face with these realities, as we do. Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in a particular way. The question becomes, how? How are they going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Are they going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through worldliness, through human philosophy, through political talk show hosts, Facebook or Twitter? How are they going to be filled with the knowledge of this will? Look at verse 9 again. We have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Not worldly wisdom, not worldly understanding, it's spiritual. Spiritual. To be filled with the right knowledge of God's will requires two things. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. But do you have them? Do you have them? There's a phrase used for certain American voters who are less likely to vote. And if they do vote, they vote without knowing the issues. They carelessly vote, and they blindly vote. These voters are known as low-information voters. Low-information voters. And Christianity has its own view its own version of the low information voter is what I call the low spiritual believer. The low spiritual believer. Low spiritual believers are ones who are easily led astray into bad theology, bad views of God's will, easily drifted away, easily sidetracked, easily duped, have mixed loyalties. They unequally yoke their Christian views with other views. And they don't live by a Christian royal line view. Their allegiance is pledged to the goat only in lip service. You see, Christians in America, we're distracted. I'm distracted. We live our life like people texting while driving. Our eyes are not in the right place. Our attention is not where it needs to be. The affections of our heart is for other lovers but Jesus. And so when it comes to our country's current political climate, social climate, racial climate, what has it revealed about your true loyalties, your true loyalties, your allegiances? What has it revealed about you? Has it shown that you may just be a low spiritual believer? 
What has it revealed about your allegiance? That you, what do you really pledge your life to? Low spiritual believers let other voices outside of Jesus shape their view of life. They let other voices shape their view of other people, their view of what's right and wrong, their view of work, their view of social issues, even their view of beauty. Because our true allegiance isn't really pledged to Jesus. We give lip service to it, to him. Our true allegiance for all of us, even myself as your pastor, is either to our ethnicity, our culture, our liberal and conservative politics, our political party, consumerism, patriotism, comfort, our careers, to freedom, to self. Whether we're on our knees, standing up with our hands over our heart, the one thing we pledge allegiance to is self-preservation at the end of the day. I don't care what color you are, what culture you're in, self-preservation is a God for many of us in this country. And we do anything to protect ourselves. That's what we pledge allegiance to. Many Christians are struggling right now with who they're going to vote for in December because they're low spiritual believers. Many are going to vote for the lesser two evils because they're low spiritual believers. Some ain't even going to vote because they're low spiritual believers. They don't have spiritual wisdom, spiritual discernment. Now, I ain't trying to hurt nobody's feelings. Please, I ain't trying to hurt your feelings. Please don't take it personal. I've been called to preach the truth, and as long as I'm passing this pulpit, truth will always flow. And sometimes that truth don't hurt, but it's all in love. Low spiritual believers lack spiritual wisdom and spiritual discernment. They lack what they need when it comes to knowing the right, having the right knowledge of God's will in life. Paul doesn't want us to be low spiritual believers, low spiritual Christians. He wants to be high spiritual Christians with spiritual wisdom and spiritual discernment. You see, spiritual wisdom is wisdom from God. It's heavenly wisdom. It's not simply book knowledge, you see. It's not simply book knowledge. It's not simply theoretical knowledge of the things of God. Spiritual wisdom is both book smartness and street smartness. There's a difference between book smartness and street smartness. A very big difference. So having the knowledge of God's will, book knowledge is that you, you know it, you memorize it, you have it. But when you apply the street knowledge to it, you know how to live it out. It's not just here. You apply it to your life as well. James says the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It takes book knowledge and street knowledge working together when it comes to spiritual wisdom. You need both. You don't just know it. You know it and you live it out at the same time. And what about spiritual discernment? Spiritual understanding is basically discernment. It's the ability to judge well. It's the ability to distinguish. It's perception. It's insight. It means you think and you see things clearly, soundly, biblically, and theologically. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. We, all, we know the difference between right and wrong, but that's, those things are clear. According to Spurgeon, it's knowing the difference between right and almost right. 
Because here's the thing. There's a lot of things that sound like biblical truth, but if you dig a little deeper, it's not. Discernment means you're going to dig deeper. You're going to do your own research and not just the research of what other people are telling you. Do you have discernment when it comes to the things that you hear about God? Even when I'm preaching to you, you do yourself a disservice. You don't go back and check it in Scripture. <laughs> if you don't go back and say, well, the pastor said this, well, let me go check and see if that's biblical. <laughs> if you don't do that, then shame on you. Shame on you. Discernment says you're going to do that. Anytime you hear something, discernment says, I need to check that out and make sure that's true. Because sometimes we take media posts and Facebook posts as gospel. And we don't dig no deeper. We don't dig no deeper. If you got spiritual discernment, you're going to dig deeper. You're not just going to live by what you see. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding are required if you're going to have the right knowledge of God's will in your life. David Brown is an American track and field athlete. And on September the 11th, he won the gold medal in the 2016 Paralympics. And the Paralympics is for athletes with disabilities. And David won the gold in the T11 category of the 100 meters. He not only won, but he set a world record now in this category. Now, you see, the T11 category is, is, is athletes who are blind or nearly blind. Now, I watched the race. And it was amazing because everyone there was blind. And they're running a track and field race blind. And I know what you're saying. How is that possible? That they can't see, Pastor. They have God. That's how it's possible. That's how they're able to compete. All visually impaired athletes in the Paralympics have designated aids known as guides. And these guides train with these athletes. They run with these athletes. And they got to have, their commitment level has to be just as high as the athlete. Because night and day, day and night, they do what the athlete does. The sweating, the, the track and field, they do all the training with them. And when the race is started, they run together. Now I want you to listen to what David says about his guy runner, Jerome Ivory. He says of Jerome, Jerome is the voice on the inside. He got, he's been a guy runner for a number of years. And so his experience allows me just to focus on running my best and nothing else. Jerome is the voice on the inside. Christian, you have a Jerome. You have a voice on the inside. You have a God running through this life with you, and that's the Holy Spirit. The voice on the inside. The one who imparts to you the things that you need. The one who gives you this spiritual wisdom and spiritual discernment. It's spiritual wisdom and spiritual discernment. Why? Because it's from the Spirit. That's why. You need Jerome's guidance if you're going to run this race, if you're going to be filled with the right knowledge of God. Because there's other wisdoms out there, and sometimes we operate on those and not spiritual wisdom. That's why we don't know how to function when things get out of order. Because we, ne we, ne we haven't been living in spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. We've been low spiritual believers. And it takes things like this election to reveal that to us. 
Maybe I haven't been as spiritual as I thought. Maybe I have been duped. And now God is showing me, yep, you've been duped. Now what you going to do? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13, listen to these words. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. You, if you are a Christian, if you claim to know Jesus, have saving faith in Jesus, Paul is saying you do not have the spirit of this world. You have the spirit who is from God. God. And that means something that we might understand that things freely given to us by God. So what does that mean? It means if you don't have the spirit from God, then you don't understand nothing. If you're not living in the spirit of God, you're not walking in the spirit of God, you won't understand anything that God has given you. The spirit who is from God, that we might understand that things freely given to he says, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. Are you spiritual? Are you a low spiritual believer? Or are you a high spiritual believer? High spiritual believer is what he's talking about. They operate out of spiritual wisdom and spiritual discernment. They are the ones who live to pledge their allegiance to the goats. The greatest of all time. But do we? Spiritual believers, high spiritual believers, they function. They put on their worldview so they can make sense of the world. They realize that there's more going on in the world than what they see. Because they realize there are two realities in this world. What you see in the spiritual reality. Spiritual, high spiritual believers know that. They live that way. And they pray that they may be filled with the right knowledge of God. And all of this is done through the Holy Spirit, the voice on the inside. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you are the voice on the inside for those of us who have faith in Jesus, for those of us who have surrendered our life to him. You are with us. And everything that we go through. And I pray for myself and I pray for, for the saints here, Lord, that, 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 you, that we will listen to that voice on the inside. That we will lean into you when it comes to life. That you will give us the spiritual wisdom and the spiritual discernment when it comes to the knowledge of God's will for our life, for how we should do family, for how we should live. That you will give it to us. We can't do it to ourselves. We can't give it to ourselves. And so we humbly come, Holy Spirit, and ask that you would do this for Christ's glory and for our good. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Please stand.